before the Lord, how much more the hearts of the children of men. And this is kind of an important verse to understand because a lot of times you're going to be told that in hell, in hell God is not, is not there, but God is there. There won't be comfort from him. It won't be, you will be seeing his justice side and his, and his, but you're not going to receive the love of God. They're not going to receive the love of God. So, but it says that hell and destruction are before the Lord. God sees everything going on even there. And then the, con the contrast to this, how much more the hearts of children. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't seem to know what's going on in my life. Whatever, whatever their accusation to God is, God pays attention to every bit of what goes on in our life. Jesus said not a single sparrow falls that God doesn't know of it. He knows the hair on our heads. Uh, I'm losing more and more, so it's getting easier and easier for God to know the number of hairs on my head. But and <laughs> yeah, they got all kinds of ways to put hair back on your head if you really want to pay the cost. This one uh, guy got a surgery where they cut an inch off his forehead and pulled his forehead down. And pulled his hair back forward. Yeah. 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 Like There's lots of things they do, but, but it's the idea that God knows everything about us. And we've said it over and over again. There's nothing that happens to us that God did not know not only does he not know what happened, but he also knew that it was going to happen. And we need to really grab hold of that truth. God is, it, God is good, and God is good all the time. Nothing happens to us that he did not know about. Nothing happens to us that he isn't aware of and has a purpose for. Now, sometimes in the short run, we don't understand his purpose. And believe me, I've been there. I've been at times where I'm going, God, I really don't understand this purpose of this. But that is when I grab hold of Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good according to the purpose of God for those who are called according to the purpose of God. So anything that happens to me, I know is for good. Maybe not for my good, but it is for good. And I think I've told you all about the time when I was suffering for almost a year with gout so bad that I was on crutches. <laughs> And, you know, you look at that and go, what's good about that? Well, during the year, nothing seemed to be good about it. But about a year later, somebody had talked to me and said, you know, well, you really uh, impressed me by your coming to church knowing that you were in pain. Now, I wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was just doing what God said, and that was to be in church. And I wasn't going to let the pain keep me from going to church. But that was a witness to somebody else who was suffering not near as bad, but said, if he can come to church, I can make it to church. And you understand how that, that worked? I mean, it's for good. It wasn't necessarily for my good, but it built a witness to somebody. And sometimes that is exactly what it's for. Maybe not for my personal good, but somebody looking on my life saying, if they can still follow God in that situation, then it's good. And we all, we never know, and this is, this is a, something you need to always understand, somebody is always watching our life. When you've got a child or kids, they're watching your life. How do you respond to whatever it is that, that happens? But you also have the world looking on. When they know you're a Christian, they're looking at you and saying, how does a Christian respond to whatever it is that's happening to you? And they're looking at you and saying, oh, 
either you act just like the world and are a bad example of how to do it, or you are a godly example and they look and say, wow, that's a lot different. Many years ago when I first moved to Kingman, I, was, I took the youth on a, on a trip to Phoenix because the youth leader couldn't do it. And I had never driven to Phoenix, and I went through Wiki, uh, Wiki, yeah. Wiki, Wiki up or Wickenburger, whichever of the two is the, the, the radar trap down there that everybody gets caught on. Wickenburg. Never saw the signs because I was passing a truck at the time. Never saw the speed slow down. You know, I'm on a four-lane road. I'm just cruising through, and I got pulled over. I, I only got a warning, but my attitude and the way that I respectfully answered the, the police officer made impression to the youth, and they commented about how their parents reacted and acted when the police officers, and I was a very different witness to them. And I was able to use that that night with the guys when I was talking with them, and we were just talking about how the Bible talks about being respectful to authority, and it was a good, you know, was getting pulled over fun, and you know, not, you know, gray, no, it was very embarrassing, especially when you got the church church van and it says the church name on it is very embarrassing to be pulled over but it was an opportunity to talk to them about how Christians re react to authority and then led to other discussions because all of a sudden there's all oh, that there's a different attitude from this person there's a different way of you know you know living and that's part of what discipleship is all about how do we react to the situations in our life is looked at by people you know, there's always people, and as a pastor, I know there's lots of people who look to me. How does this person react when this happens or that happens? And they're looking to say, is it a godly way? As a father, I had four kids looking at me every time something happened. What's dad going to do in this situation? And we all have people that are looking at us. Just when we tell people we're Christians, we've got people looking at us saying, I want to see why this Christianity stuff is important. Why should I be a Christian? How do they react when money's tight? How do they react when, when somebody slanders them? How do they react when somebody gets violent to them? You know, what do they do? How do they live? And it's important for us to remember, not only God's looking at us, he is seeing everything, but others are looking at us. And this is the biggest thing we want to grab hold of. There, I've heard people say, well, I would never do such and such in front of my mom because it would, you know, she's just the person I want on. But you would, do it if, you would do it just because God's looking at you, you would still do it? Because it tells us that we really truly don't believe that God's watching us all the time sometimes. If you've ever said there's somebody I wouldn't do this in front of, and it's not God, then you're really testifying to the fact that you don't believe that God is always watching everything you do. And this is important for us to understand. You know, and we've talked about this. The Bible teaches us things, but the way we live really tells whether we believe it or not. So what's the answer to when somebody acts out at you violence? In violence, depends on the level of violence. If it's words, I pretty much ignore them. Uh, mean words. But if it's in physical violence... Uh, I studied Aikido, which was don't let them hit me. And pretty much that's what I do. I don't let them hit me. Um, but not strike them back. Though. I usually will not strike back unless I lose my temper. <laughs> if I lose my temper, then all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, I try not to lose my temper because I know that I will hurt people if I lose my temper. Uh, but I will usually try to keep them from hitting me, and I am good at keeping people from hitting me. If they insist on keeping fighting, then... 
you know, I, like I said, I've studied Aikido, you escalate to, to doing as little damage as you possibly can. I am not one to get hit. Uh, if I get hit, I'm going to lose my temper and I will, and I will be, <laughs> and I know at that point that I will hurt somebody, so I do not let people hit me. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, and again, because I have studied some martial arts, it was a long time ago, but when I lose my temper, all that stuff kicks back in with, with full force without me thinking about it. Well, anything that you learn that's like that, so. or self-preservation will always kick in, because that's where it's stored at. So I, I will just stop by just blocking, and I'm usually good enough at blocking whatever comes my way to not not have to escalate. And most people get tired after two or three punches of not getting getting through because they realize that something is not working. Now, but I haven't had I haven't had a physical attack in many 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 years because usually I usually I can talk people down from it because I've learned to calm people down in in most cases. Uh, so it's been decades since I've had a fight. <laughs> Multiple decades. I think my last fight was in 28 or so, when I was 28 or 27. So we're talking half my life ago that it was the last time I had a physical altercation. Um, and most of it is because, a lot of it is because of the way I, you know, present and, and will usually be able to talk somebody, talk somebody down. Um. I don't have a lot of pride that says I've got to be bigger and meaner than most people, because I already know that. We're, I already know that if push came to shove, that I would be. So I don't need to try to take a stance because I don't want to prove it. You know, number one, I don't want to be wrong. Number two, I don't want to hurt somebody, which is also why in a in a verbal, you know, if somebody's attacking me verbally, I'm going to leave it in God's hands because it's not hurting. I don't have an ego. I don't really have the ego that says I have to be right and, and, and let them, you know. Well, the saying was, you can't hurt my feelings. I'm already a construction order. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, I, that's pretty much the way that I, I feel. You know, it's like, you're not, normally they're not attacking me anyway. They're attacking God in me. And if they're going to attack God in me, then God's the one they're going to have to answer to. And so I usually can just sit back and say, you know, in my own mind, okay, God, this is, you know, usually I'm praying that they don't get what they deserve from God. Uh, and that's big time what I do a lot of times because, number one, just going against somebody, you know, one of God's children is going to get you in trouble. And now I'm a pastor, so they're coming against me is even worse because God doesn't, doesn't take lightly when people come against a pastor. And I've seen it over the years. When people have attacked pastors, I'll say, you don't understand what you're doing. It is not good for you to attack a pastor. God says to speak not against his anointed leaders. And I've seen people's lives be totally destroyed in a matter of a year, two, three years. Uh, I've shared with you this one guy. He attacked a pastor. And I wasn't even a deacon at the time, you know, but the, I told him, you cannot speak against the pastor like this. God won't hold you, will hold you accountable. And then the head, head deacon said the same thing to him. And then we went together our, together, because both of us had heard him speak this way against him and said, you need to get right with God and repent. He didn't. He, got, he ended up being divorced within a year, lost two of his three sons to death within, within, within a year. And then within two years, he, was, he had cancer. Okay. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's just coincidental. I don't buy it. I, buy, I think that God said... <laughs> You did what you were supposed, you know, what you weren't supposed to do. You did not listen to the rebuke, 
and repent, and God struck him with what, you know, what he did. So usually when people say things bad about me or against me, my first prayer is to God, please don't, you know, please don't uh, destroy their life because I don't care, but God does. And so my first prayer is almost always, God, don't give them what they deserve from all of this. And that, that is just me. It's where I am in my life. And I, don't, and I understand people have to grow to that point. But I've always been very forgiving of people. I don't, I don't want people to be hurt because they've been disobedient. I don't want to see people you know, in pain because of things they do. Does that mean people sometimes think they can take advantage of me? Yeah, that's between them and God as far as I'm concerned because uh, it is always between God. You know, Debbie, you know, your mom always says you know, so much things are spiritual. And I really believe that almost everything we deal with you know, I'd almost say 100% of what we deal with is spiritual. You know, whether we deserve it because of our sin and things that we do, sometimes it's spiritual because of that. Sometimes people are coming against us because we're lifting God up in a situation and they don't want God lifted up in that situation, and they'll come against us. Uh, we shine a light in a situation that they don't want a light shine, you know, uh, shown in, and they go, you know, this is revealing too much sin. I don't want this. I don't want this light, and they come against you. I'm just going along with your thought, Pastor. Um, like me, since I'm new on my walk, I'm still trying to like control some of my my fleshly things, and just like you know, just like giving it to God. You know, when someone you know says something inappropriate to, um, I believe my character. I just you know I try my best to get with God, and I'm still growing it with things and matters and everything like that. But you're going to fall and doesn't give you an excuse for it but I've been I've been walking with God for 43 years almost 44 years to me where I'm at now I used to be at the place where I was ready to to fight for everything and 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 argue with people when they came again you know came against me after many years it's become okay God it's yours I've learned to depend on God to be my defense and I'm hoping that you it an advantage because I'm teaching let God be your defense and you get to the place where if you can learn it early on you don't have to go through 10 15 20 years of trying to defend yourself and seeing all the problems and this is the advantage of being discipled by somebody and being taught by somebody because you can learn from what they have gone through and that's the important thing to do you you learn you start up at a higher level when I when I worked in the restaurants it would be very interesting. Whatever was acceptable standard the year before probably wasn't the acceptable standard a year later because we had raised the standard. Well, God is the same place. His standard is perfection and we'll never get there, but we can keep raising the standard of each generation so that it starts at a higher, higher standard and say, here, you don't have to start down here at the crawling level. We'll get you started up here at the, the walking level and get you to running quicker than, than it took me, because it took me a long time to get up, up there. My hope is as I teach people, they can start at a, at a more of a walking, evil, even level and, 
and go beyond me in the long run. You know, my goal is for everybody that I teach to go beyond where I'm at because I want to get started at a higher place, at a younger age, at a, at a more beginning age, that they'll start at a higher place and they will, they will do much more than I could ever do. And that is the ultimate goal for any teacher, any parent wants their kids to be better off and be in a better place than they were, not just physically, but you know, for, for a spiritual world, we want our kids better off spiritually. And I, and I love watching my kids as they're in their 20s, late 20s and early 30s, as they deal with the people that they deal with. And, and, and I'm going, thank you, God, because they're deal, you know, at their young age, they're dealing with things that I didn't deal with until my thir- you know, 40s and stuff. And they're already dealing with this you know, in a very spiritual, godly way in their 30s and 20s. And that is what we're looking at. We want to see people grow. I want to see people grow. I want to see people fall in love with God's word and apply his word to their life and not have to go through half of what I went through. If I can see that happen in people, I'll be so happy. I love seeing the progress people are making because they're applying God's word to their life and living according to God's way. And that's perfect. And it's great. And see people grow and, and, and give God the glory and then be able to pass that on to others. It's going to be a fantastic thing to see. Verse 12. The scorner loves not one that reproves him, neither will he go to the wise. And we've all probably seen individuals that have been corrected and they get mad. And that's what that verse says. They get mad. They don't love the one trying to correct them. And correction is not, hopefully if it's done right, it is not something that is to make you feel bad or, or make you feel miserable. It is designed to help you come to a greater understanding of God's truth. Does it, does it feel good to be corrected? No, it, I don't think it's ever been felt good to be corrected in my life. Now, as times I've been corrected and I know the person really cares about me and is trying to help me, doesn't mean it's any, you know, that it's that it feels good to be corrected, at least I can say they're trying their best to help me. And that is important for us to understand. The scorner does not love the one who's reporting and will not go to the wise. Well, that's the world view. That's the world view. It really is. I'm right. Don't try to correct me. Or, as it's said today, uh, there is no right or wrong. You know, quit trying to tell me what, you, what is right and wrong. You know, there is no, no, no truth. And usually say there is no absolute truth, and they say it as an absolute fact. Mm-hmm. Which I love to ask them when somebody says to me there's no absolute truth, I'll ask them, is that an absolute sure. fact? <laughs> and they go, what? I go, well, if there is no absolute truth, and it's an absolute truth that there, there is no absolute truth, then your truth that there is no absolute truth is not right. Uh, you know, or I'll ask very simply, is that absolutely true? <laughs> yeah. Because the, the idea that there is no absolute truth is a fallacy in and of itself. Because it's an absolute statement that there is no absolute, it's an absolute truth that there is no absolute truth, is what they're telling you. And so, by definition, they're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a logical fallacy that they're trying to put out. But that's the way the world thinks. The world, it is funny out there in the world. When I, went to, when I went to college the second time in the mid-90s, it was so funny listening to people. They would say contradictory sentences in the same, in the same breath. Mm-hmm. You know, they would say something and then contradict it within two minutes. 
And if you pointed it out, they wouldn't understand that it was a contradiction. And it's like, how? Double negatives. Oh, no, I'm not even getting into double negatives. I mean, it's, it would just be too, you know, all life is precious, but, I, but I, we're going to go have an abortion this afternoon. Okay, how do you mix the two together? They're opposite views, and they both can't be true. And yet they'll say it, and they will truly believe, you know, that both are true. The, the flesh is a very schizophrenic, entity. It can believe things that are totally opposite and not even comprehend that they're opposites. This is why it's important. When we get to the spiritual realm, we all of a sudden start realizing all these different light gets sh shined into our light and we go, oh, you're right. These I can't believe this and this. Okay, God, help me to get your truth out of it. And we as Christians always end up that way, that way. The flesh is telling us one thing, the world is telling us one thing, and then God comes along and says, here's truth, and we have to deal with it in our, in our life and be able to crucify what we think is correct in the flesh and accept what God says is true. Is it, is it our free will that makes our flesh fall the way it does? Makes well? No, makes it fall the way we desire sin and stuff like that. Our free will will bend to the flesh usually because we are fleshly. We are fallen. And that is the problem that we have. And this is why we've got to always understand. When something goes wrong, when somebody mistreats me, when somebody says something wrong, I already know that, it's going to, that things like that are going to happen because I know that people are in the flesh. And I know that I'm in the flesh. And I know that as long as I stay in the flesh, I am going to do wrong things because that is what the flesh wants to do. And so, and I come across people a lot that go, well, things like that shouldn't happen in the church or with God's people. I'm going, well, unfortunately, they're, they're all sinners saved by grace. And as long as they haven't crucified that area of their life, they are going to live in the flesh. And the thing for us as Christians is we cannot be surprised when somebody acts in the flesh because that is natural. The, the surprising thing to me is when act like Christians are supposed to act because that means they're walking with God and I'm more surprised when that happens than when they do something in the flesh when they're when they say nasty things or mean or or they pass gossip around or whatever it is that they might do it doesn't truly surprise me because that is who we are and we've got to understand that it makes it easy if you can understand that it makes deal with people in this world because you're not having this con concept that, oh, they're saved, they're going to be perfect. Because they're not going to be. someone that talks down to me and is mean to me every morning on the phone, and I just get the call. <laughs> yeah. So, but we, but we need to understand that because when people are mean to us, they're acting in the flesh. And the flesh is going to react against the spirit. So if somebody isn't being crucified at that particular point, and you're coming as a spiritual person, and you've been prayed up, and you've got God's light shining through you, and His presence is shining, you come in contact with somebody who's in the flesh, they're going to react. Because God's Spirit does not allow the flesh in His presence. They will react. They will, they will either pull back because of you know, addiction, or they will strike out. And the key is, we need to realize they're not striking out at me personally. Now, 
they're striking out at God's presence being presented. And, you know, if I've done something wrong, then they're striking out at me personally. I deserve whatever they get. And even then, I'm still going to try to live in forgiveness and, and everything. But we need to be careful because God's presence will make people strike out. And, you know, and say, I just don't like being there because God's presence convicts. It convicts. It will always convict. It doesn't condemn. Now, if you're getting condemned, you're not get, you're not in the presence of the Spirit. You're you're listening to the demonic world, and you know the demonic world condemns. Satan comes in. You know, Satan loves to do this to us. You know, you know, God God will forgive you if you do such and such. And you you ignore him, you ignore him, and then all of a sudden you step. You know, you go and you, know, you fall down. We all sin. And then he'll come along and say, boy, what a miserable Christian you are. You, you did this. You know, how can you dare show your face around other, other Christians again because you're such a terrible person? What if you just eat it every day? Huh? What if you just eat it every day and eat. don't say anything? You just let it talk <laughs> stupid, mean to you. Basically, you, do, you, you say, you know, the biggest answer we have, and this is why we do who we are in Christ series is, you know, the greatest answer you can give to Satan is, I am accepted by God. He has forgiven me. I have fallen, yes, but I am forgiven. I am headed to heaven. Satan, you are headed to hell. Now, you can talk back to him. When he's condemning you, you can say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That Jesus was, paid for it. That would be a good one, huh? Yeah, I'm forgiven. Jesus has paid for it. And we need to understand. We need to be able to fully understand we are forgiven. And the more we can understand that we're forgiven, when we do fall... And it doesn't mean that we have a life. This isn't, I'm not going to because I have, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. No. Because we've talked about it. If God is in you, he is going to. So the question is, how much of him is in you? He is to keep him in there. So we are forgiven. The victim. Forgiven by God and be able to walk with him, continue in him. I do not wallow in my sin and say, oh, woe is me. I'm such a terrible person. The longer I wallow in sin, the more I'm following, you know, letting Satan have some victory. I fall. I realize I fall. God, forgive me. I get back up. And, he's, and you know what? He's forgiven you before you ask for forgiveness. He's already forgiven. It's already in the blood. The forgiveness, the, the reason you ask for forgiveness is so that you can get your spirit right with God. God, because Satan loves the darkness. If you have an area that you have a great weakness in, and you keep falling in that particular area, then you need to find somebody that you can share it with that will pray for you and get it out in the open. That doesn't mean stand up in the church and you just find somebody you can trust that says, I have this weakness and I need somebody to pray for me and just ask me how I'm doing in this area once in a while. And I've all told you, I've got two friends that I meet Every week, in week anyway, and we get together, and, and each one of us has permission to speak very bluntly with the other one when we see something going on in their life or hear something going on, because accountability has to be out there, and openness and the light has to be shown in. Yesterday, I discovered I have a problem repeating it, uh, something that happened 30 years ago, but I just uh, can't forget it and I, and I tell other people I probably told you three or four mm -hmm. times and I, I apologize for doing that I repeat myself of this 
thing that happened with my mom and dad and my son and my ex-wife. Yeah. What happened to me with my uh, when they passed away? I've told you the story, and yeah. it's it's just I was telling this driver yesterday, and she uh, said you've told me that story about three times already, you know. Which is what I've told you a couple of times. And yeah, she's it's... telling me uh, I need to get help, and those that's that was her answer, and then she told things that I've heard her say two or three times, but I didn't insult her back. I yeah. didn't say anything, but I. I apologize if I do that. I have a problem with the past of, uh, of different incidents that uh, I bring up. That I, it's something that's a habit or it's an interesting story because I met a lady that her husband was murdered yesterday and I wit we witnessed each other. She I witnessed to her and she's and I told her that story and, it, and she said there was a chance for you to witness. God putting you there or put her in the courtroom witnessing to everybody that I got murderers going to hell and he's and the, and the cops all pulled their guns and everything and they, the judge said put your guns down please uh, bailiffs uh, lady you can say whatever you want to this guy he's going to jail he said he was just really pissed off at that guy at the yeah. guy he murdered uh, the key to this all is is we need to learn though to release the past and the hard thing about this is, the, what does the world tell us all the time? You have the right to be angry. You have the right to tell You're everybody. You're the victim. You know, they caused this problem. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to be, you know, have this kept going. Uh, psychologists teach you to blame somebody else, you know, or acknowledge that it's somebody else's fault. And somehow that's supposed to lead to healing. You know, how many times do the parents get blamed because they raised their kid in a certain way? You know, and what God says about it is, you make the choices, you made the choices, you need to deal with getting it before Him. And that's a totally different way of thinking. God is not saying that I'm to blame others. I mean, we have plenty that we can blame. You know, we can go all the way back and say Adam and Eve's fault. They, they're the one that, you know, put this whole problem into place in the first place. Forget, uh, forgive you know, and forget. That's the and, hard part. And the, the key to this is to put it before God and say, God, it is in your hands. And forgive and forget is the key. And people go, well, we can't forget. Well, you can forget. If you don't dwell on something, you will basically forget it. Is it still in your brain? Yes. But the more you dwell on something, the more you keep it on the forefront of your mind. The less you dwell on it, the less it's going to be remembered. And this is why what's on the forefront of your mind is important. What is on it? Is God's word and his, his teachings on the forefront of your mind? Or is it everything that's ever happened to you on the forefront of your mind? Are you angry about something and keeping it on the forefront of your mind? And the key to this is, and this is why God says we are to meditate upon his word. Because if we are meditating on his word, there's no room for the unforgiveness to be in the forefront of our mind. And the more we concentrate on how does he want us to live by getting into his word, the more the other stuff will be pushed out. Renewing our mind. Renewing our mind, changing the way we think, keeping what's keeping in our forefront of our mind. And this is why memorizing verses is important. This is why reading the Bible in the morning is, you know, and I, and I tell everybody, I go, I, I understand that some people are busy in the morning and it's hard, but if you start day with God's word and then you meditate upon the word that you read, it will change the way your day goes for the rest of the day because God's thoughts are on your mind rather than all the negativity that you could be 
thinking about. You get in, you get into God's word, and then you get, you know, we don't have big problems around here, but you know, especially for cities, you you meditate on God's word, and then you're in the traffic. Instead of the tra thinking about the traffic, you can be thinking about what you read in God's Word. While you're waiting in line at the grocery store, you can be thinking about what you read in God's Word rather than being grumpy about all the stuff that, you know, it's taking so long to get this, you know, get through this line or whatever. You know, the key is changing the way we think, getting into God's Word, changing the, because the world is with, you have the right to be angry at this person. You have the right to be, you know, sharing with everybody how bad they treated you and, you know, and the world is saying this is even and to the point where they almost say it's good to get it off your chest. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody, well, I just had to get this off my chest. Give it to God. You know, vent. You know, I had to vent. Give it to God. Vent to God. If you're going to vent to somebody, vent to God. Don't vent to other people because, number one, they can't help you. They can't fix it for you. And all you do is put negative thoughts into their mind. And nowhere in the scripture does it say, go out and vent to everybody. Matter of fact, it says, don't do it. <laughs> okay? Uh, but again, it's, the what does the world tell us? What does God tell us? And I keep bringing this up because it is always, everything we do, there's going to be a way that the world thinks about something and the way the, that God thinks about something. And they don't meet. They don't meet. What you read in the newspaper, in the in the in the uh, in the secular books, what you see in the movies, what you see in the in the arts, very very rarely is it Christian oriented, unless you get one that's specifically Christian oriented. So all day long we're bombarded by do things the world's way. Our flesh is bombarding us with this is the way you should be do it. We have our eyes that are taken in the the world's way of doing it. We have to God's thoughts in our mind to counteract all of this. And I've said it many, many times, if you're going to do anything that is not biblically oriented, there's not a problem with it. I'm not saying everything out there is sin. Watching movies is not necessarily a sin. But if you spend three, four hours watching a movie, how much time have you read God's Word? Have you matched it? Is, is there an equal amount of time in God's Word well, to... You must have to, a certain item. You must have a certain item. That's what they... Always well, that's everything about, everything about advertising is to build lust and, you see your and covetousness. Your neighbor's got 80% of all sales come from advertisement because mm -hmm. it puts, puts the urge in there to go to Taco Bell and buy that burrito. And it, the little jingle. And too, puts the, the, the need. Song, the well, it puts the need. I need this or I have to have this. All right, now we'll double the offer. Yeah. Or you've got to have this because, you know, this is the best out there. And if you don't have this, you're missing something. And they show down home folks. They show, show some old lady using it. Oh, it works for her. You know, you can do it too. And so it's all of advertising is to, to trigger covetousness, which God tells us not to covet. And all of advertising is about triggering covetousness. And sometimes lust, you know, sometimes just straightforward. Oh, sure. And the models they use. Yeah. The idea on this is, are we, are we listening to the world? Are we being bombarded by the world's messages? Yes. But are we spending any time contradicting it with God's word? How much time do we spend in God's word? And it is so important. And I really talk about if you're going to study other religions and, and thoughts, there's nothing wrong with studying some of the other religions to get some knowledge. I don't time in them anymore because I know what I need to know about them. 
But if you're going to spend an hour in the Book of Mormon or something, spend at least that much time in the Bible to cleanse your mind back. Uh, and I would even go so far to say if you spend, you, know, you watch two movies and you spend three, four hours watching movies, you need some time in God's Word to cleanse your mind of all the garbage in the, in the movies. And I guarantee you, you know, the more you spend it with God's Word, the more you're going to see the garbage that's in all these different other activities. And I have a hard time watching movies anymore. I have a hard time watching, I can't stand watching TV because TV is even worse than most movies. Uh, and I like older movies, so I don't, I, I don't watch many of the new movies, so I don't have much to gauge on those ones. But television, I don't like most of the new television stuff because they're all bombarding you with usually, you know, sex with no, no consequences, homosexuality, uh, you know, all the stuff that goes on in all these new shows don't, do not thrill me at all. All the violence in the... Just the other day, they was talking about why people don't like Christian movies because the, the and they're we're going regular movies out of Hollywood have no agenda, and I'm going your premise is wrong. All entertainment has an agenda and a and a and a direction to push. The fact that you like the other one means that you don't really recognize it as an agenda because you agree with it. But it still has an agenda that it's pushing. You know, and so when they see something that jars them, like a Christian-based movie, gets in their face and says, everything that, you've been, everything that you watch is wrong, that jars When a strong Christian watches a movie from Hollywood, we should have that same jarring worldview being thrown, spewed out at out, out us, and all the garbage spewed out at us. Entertainment has an agenda. And it shows the worldview. And the problem is when it contradicts your worldview as Christians, we look at this stuff and say, wow, what a, what a rotten movie because of all the lies and, and truth, uh, uh, lies and, and, and violence and, and sin in it. Then people who are from the world look at a Christian movie and say, man, this, this movie was awfully preachy. You know, they, they believe there's a standard in all this. I went to broadcasting school when I was young before I started AM radio broadcasting for three hours a day, seven days a week. And I had a pretty good voice to do that, keep it steady, you know, but you get about 10 minutes what you want. But anyway, I learned in class, and I'll share it with you guys, it was really opened my eyes because every song or movie or entertainment is either left wing, right wing, or MOR, middle of the road. It's either left wing, right wing, it's all political agenda. I said, I never thought of it like that, but every song I listen to, has some kind of left wing, right wing, or middle of the road agenda. Mm. I'd place it more spiritual, worldly myself, but. <laughs> but this is what I learned in a, yeah. a worldly, uh, secular broadcast. But, but it is true. Everything out there has a purpose. Now, I'm not saying the person who wrote it had a had a had a purpose in their mind. Right. But you always are going to communicate out of your worldview. When I was a when I was a senior in high school, I had a I had an English teacher, and I we were studying the Bible as literature, and he gave a number of assignments, and of course, me loving the Bible as much as I did, my my papers were very 
strong, pointed papers because I personally was entrenched in defending the position that I was going to stay. Well, I had the unfortunate uh, task of having the same teacher the next semester <laughs> on a class that I really didn't care at all about the papers I wrote. And his comments on my paper is not up to your normal standard. It's not, you know, yeah. there's no passion in this. And I, one time after that, I went up to him, I'm going, there is no passion because you're giving me things I don't care about. We studied the Bible. I care, you know, tremendously about the Bible. And I go, there's no passion in it because these ones I don't care about, you know, who wrote this book or what this book was about. And there's nothing in that book that I cared about. You know, and so it is true. When we write, when we write poetry, when we, if we were to write plays or books, our world view would come out of us into those books. And so no matter what we do, we will be represented. The artists in Hollywood, most of them are from a secular standpoint that God's word is not true. And everything that they write about is going to be from this world's viewpoint. So that when we as Christians go in and we're, and we're then contemplating God, we're going to be smacked in the face about the world view being presented. And just as they are smacked in the face if they watch a Christian movie, you know, and we look at it and say, oh, I like this movie. It's, it's really good. It, it's promoting God's, God's point. And we kind of, and we just resonate that it's a good movie without behind it. And we might be God's, God's message, which we know is an agenda, but, but it's not jarring to us. And this whole thing is, the scorner does not love them, neither will they go to the wise. They won't go to the wise. And this comes down to today's mantra. Don't judge me. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Don't, don't correct me. That's the world's way of thinking. I'm, I'm just oh, Okay. Hand. All right, verse 13. I'm, on, I'm, I'm still on 12. Oh, okay. Okay, 13. I'm at beginning of 13. I got a question. Okay. Go ahead. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but the sorrow of heart, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. And this is this is kind of easy. You know, sometimes when somebody is really in a good mood, you see them, and there's a smile on their face. They're they're glowing. Uh, everything is right. And you you we've all seen that person where usually we'll think they're in love or something because you know there's just that, you know. They're, they're happy, they're smiley, there's, you see it on their face. Is that what countenance Countenance means? is what your face. Face. Yeah. It's, it's that glow. It's a little more than face. It's a little more than face, but usually, we, heard that word usually we think of it as a face. That's the big smile on their face. Everything is good. Or it could be the opposite of what this verse talks about. There's the frown. Yeah. And usually with the frown comes the drooped shoulders and the, and right. the little slope down. And, and you just look at that person and saying, well, something is really wrong yeah. with them. You have to use car salesmen and happy face. <laughs> look at this car. It's a, it's a but, but yeah, and, and it says, by, and by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Have you ever been there where you, you, things are just seeming so bad that your very spirit seems to be broken? And again, it's usually you're outside of God. You're not, you're not in his word. You're not, you're not thinking about him at all. You're thinking about how bad everything is. And I can guarantee you, if you want to feel bad, just start thinking about everything going wrong in your life and you will... By the end of the day, within an hour or two, you're going to feel miserable. 
And the funny thing about feeling miserable in your spirit is our body usually follows where our spirit is. Yeah, their hand and foot. Huh? Their hand and foot they're hand in glove. I mean, if you are feeling if you are feeling mentally and emotionally bad, your body will usually get into a physical, you know, bad as well. Now, I'm not saying you can't get in flu or anything, but but many people make themselves sicker than they really are because they are concentrating only on all the bad stuff that's happening. They break their spirit, and their body follows that brokenness. And you see somebody who's generally upbeat and they're following God and, they're, and their countenance is bright, they're not usually sick. I am very rarely sick because I don't let myself get down all, very often. I usually stay very upbeat and excited about what God is doing. Even when there's pressure going on, I'm going, oh God, you're in charge. I'm going to... Very rarely do I get sick. I mean, last week I had that sore throat for 24 hours, you know, that... Uh, that was unusual for me. You know, the people talk about, don't hug me, I've got a cold or a flu. I don't worry about that stuff. I'm kind of like Loretta on that one. It just, I don't worry about that kind of stuff because God's given me strong immunity. I'm usually upbeat. My spirit is keeping me healthy. And, you know, am I going to take stupid chances like drinking out of the same cup as somebody with the flu or something? No, but to give them a hug or, or, or talk to them, I am not going to have a problem with that because... We normally will follow where our spirit leads. Our body, our body and spirit are very much tied together. And usually when I see somebody who's always sick, and you look at who, where they are spiritually and where they're at in, you know, with their emotions, you see that their emotions are sick as well and their spirit is, is, is sick. And we want to be able to lift people up. We want to get people thinking about God, dwelling upon his word, Get their emotions to live with God and watch the strength come into their body. Watch the strength come into their body. Now, is there a 100% correlation between the two? No. You, know, you, you can be the happiest person in the world and you may get sick or and all this stuff, but there is an immunity that's built in there by, by there. You know, and almost to, a, almost to the person, every time I see somebody who is terrible, miserable all the time, I can almost guarantee that they're also sick a lot, yeah. physically sick a lot, because their mind is there and the spirit is broken and their body follows. I like what you said, hand in glove. I mean, it's, you know, the, emotion, the emotions in the body are very much hand in glove. The teacher I had was always, that was his phrase, it's like a hand in glove. One of my best friends, his, his big thing is everything is attitude. You know, and it really does boil down a lot to attitude. What kind of attitude am I going to have? Am I going to have a godly attitude towards something or a worldly attitude? Am I going to be upset because somebody you know, gave me a dirty look? You know, I've met lots of people that go, that person, that person gave me a mean look or a dirty look. At a traffic light. You, know, <laughs> traffic, you don't even know who that person and they're getting upset about the look. Yeah. that somebody gave them yeah. and it's like and who cares what <laughs> and your point is what did they say to nothing what did, did they physically attack no they just gave me a mean look yeah. <laughs> okay you know maybe maybe they had just taken a bite of a hot hot oh. sausage you know and, and were squinting at you because their because their mouth was on fire you know 
followed by the <laughs> bird, you know, that doesn't help. <laughs> you, know, you never know what it was, you know. They just stuck their hand down there and they hit a they hit a straight pin and stuck it into their into their finger, you know, and yeah, they're right. and they're and they're they're hurting and they're and you're and you're looking at them thinking they're mad at you for it's some a, reason. Bit of lemon or something. Yeah. <laughs> Attitude is important. How are we responding to people? Are we showing love? Are we showing mercy? Are we showing grace? Are we showing forgiveness? All the attributes of God that He shows to us, we're to show to others. In in First uh, John it says, "Beloved, uh, he that loves not knows not God." <laughs> you know, this is important for us to understand. We love because God first loved us. We really don't know what true love is without God, because usually when humans speak of love, they're thinking of lust, <laughs> a desire, <laughs> you know, or. Maybe I'm kind of friendly with them. I'm getting something back from them. They're kind to me so I can be kind to them. You know, family love starts to get into closer to true love. I love my kids so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes for my kids. Okay. But even that has a limit to those who aren't following up with agape love. I love because God shows me and teaches me to love. And agape love is the, in one sense, the easiest love because I choose it. I choose to love. It's also the hardest because I don't, I, if I'm truly following agape love, it doesn't matter to me how the person responds. I'm not loving them to get something back from them. I'm loving them because that is what God says to do. In, in one sense, it's the easiest because it's a choice, but in the other sense, it's the hardest because we don't necessarily get anything back. When I'm, in, when I'm loving somebody in a, in a brotherly love, a, a kindness love, that's easy love because I'm getting something back from the person. I'm getting back the same feelings. Okay, so I am getting something for that love. Eros love or erotic love is a love that has definitely, I get something back in that realm of love. Sterge love, you know, the love of family, I usually get back, you know, love from my family because I'm doing things for them. But agape is the hard one. It's easy because it is a choice, but it is also the hard one because it's the love that God has for us. He loved us while we were his enemies. You know, and when we become Christians, he's getting something back. But there's billions and trillions of people that aren't giving him back the love that he's showing them in agape love. There's billions and trillions that he's going to send to hell because that's what they chose and it's going to break his heart to send them to hell even though they chose it. Because he's going to say, I loved you and I gave you every opportunity to come to me and you still rejected. And he's going to love them even as he sends them into hell. And that's going to break his heart. It's just, and the closest we come to that kind of a feeling is as a parent when our kids choose to do something wrong and no matter what we try to tell them and just know that it's going to hurt them. We know that it's going to hurt them, and yet we have to let them do it because what are we going to do, tie them up and change to keep them from doing it? No, that's not going to keep them from doing it in the long run. They have to go through and experience the hurt that comes along with the sin. Same thing when I'm teaching and I watch people do things, you know, something and then watch them not do what's taught and going, okay, be with them. Suffer from whatever it is that they're headed toward. Yeah. And that's the hard thing about teaching people. When you love people, 
You know, I have all told you, back in the early days, it was real easy for me to teach because I didn't care what people did. I just taught people, and I know that they, and I know that they probably felt it. You know, here's a whole bunch of knowledge where I didn't, you know, I really don't care what you do. God has given me love for people now, and it hurts when I watch people having been taught something to go off and do the exact contrary and know that there's going to be consequences, and that brings pain. It brings pain, and I know that they're going to have pain, and I hurt for them before they even get there because I know where they're headed. And this is important for us to understand. There's great pain in loving people because true love allows them to make a, make a fool of themselves if that's what they want to do. It'll do everything, it's at verse 12, we'll do everything to try to get them to not go that way. But ultimately, if they're going to reject it and go there, we know they're going to get hurt and we just want to say, oh, God, please. Somebody today told me that, you know, there's somebody that says things about me and I'm going, I don't care because God is my defense. I'm going to actually pray for that person that they don't get what they deserve. I want them to get mercy. I don't want them to get what they deserve. You know, because it is harsh. It is, you know, just if they say, if they say anything about any of God's children, he's going to do you know, defend his children. But then you have responsibilities and then you have really goes after somebody and you don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen. I was sharing with my stepmom this morning. She was telling me about how this one person is that she wants, you know, that she would like to see disciplined. I'm going, just leave it with God. It's up to God. Don't desire that. You know, you want to learn to forgive that person. Is it easy to forgive? No, it's not all that easy to forgive sometimes. But our desire should always be God loved these people. I've been reading uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it was talking about. I believe it was Polycarp. You know, they didn't. They. they he goes. You don't have to. You don't have to tie me to the stake. I love God so much that I will hold on to the stake without, without being tied to it. So they put a loose cord on him just to make sure that he stayed. You know, but the idea loving your even your enemies. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, Father, forgive them. Are we going to be that, will we be that forgiving that we're facing our death and we say, Father, forgive them? Or is our prayer, God, get them. <laughs> get them, God. No, you know, our prayer needs to be, Father, forgive. You know, this person's being mean to me. Father, forgive them. This person is killing me. Father, forgive them. Because we as Christians have to come out and say, God, you are the one that wants that that is going to get get them in the long run. I learned on the radio page to the New Testament it was when he said it is finished. That was the end of the New Testament and the New Covenant started. The old te- end of the old testament and the beginning of the new it is two o'clock already it was literally Let's what they meant though well it was a lot more than that but it was but on the radio the guy made, yeah. it, made it simple for me to understand enough which when cool. when jesus announced telestai it is finished it meant literally that the law was complete he had fulfilled all of the law the law was complete. The law was no longer the issue with God. Grace, will, grace would always be the point after that. Jesus had paid all for sin. He had fulfilled the law. And this is why I've said, we are not under the law. Paul says it all through the New Testament. We are not under the law. We are under 
grace. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled all the law. Now, again, we've talked about this. Why, will we, why do we do good? It's not because we're trying to obey the law. It's because God is in us. The law represents God. And because he pours out of us, we actually keep the law because he is coming out of us. And he is living who he is in us. And the law always is who God is. So we obey the law, not because we're trying to keep the law for good reasons, but because God is working through us to bring out who he is, which is the fulfillment of the law. And it's very powerful. It keeps us from having to strive. I don't have to strive to be good. All I have to do is be crucified and let God come out of me. He is good because that is who he is. And so the more of my flesh that is crucified, the more of God that comes out of me, the more I will fulfill God's 613 laws that he gave us and more who he is, not because I'm working real hard to do it, but because God is working through me. And that gives us such freedom. It gives us great freedom to just let God be who he is and work through us. All right, let's pray. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word and study. We thank you for your love and your kindness, for your grace, and that you will teach us to forgive. We ask you to go with us. Help us to be willing to share you with others and to lift you up and to, to bring you before the, this town and the, these people in this town. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.